section. So if you're relatively new to Green Tree, the last three, four months or so, or even just this Sunday is your first Sunday, we'd love to have you join us next Sunday after church at uh, Ron and Jen Allen's house. And the welcome tables, there's a welcome table in the back, there's a welcome table in the front, and uh, you can grab some directions there. But we would love to have you join us next Sunday right after the second service. Uh, for that time, just to hang out and talk. There's not a presentation. There's nothing. Uh, nobody tries to get you to sign anything. It's just simply a way for uh, for folks that are relatively new to Green Tree to meet some of the staff, meet some of the leaders, ask some questions, uh, and enjoy a wonderful lunch. So we'd love to have you have you join us. We invite you to turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter six. We're continuing our series Undivided. We're looking at the Sermon on the Mount. What does it mean to live? As a follower of Jesus this morning, we're going to go back and revisit a passage that we looked at last Sunday in chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. We'll read that in just a couple minutes. It'll be on the screen, but you clearly can follow along in your own Bible or on your phone or your iPad. Um, My dad was a guy that grew up in the World War II generation, so he started smoking at a pretty early age. But in 1985, he gave up cigarettes. My dad lived for another 26 years after he stopped smoking. So out of curiosity the other day, I sat down and I looked up what an average pack of cigarettes cost in 1985. Anybody want to take a guess? 25? No, that, that's back when I was a little tiny kid and my dad would send me up to the grocery store with a quarter. And I, you know, five years old and you're putting the thing in and buying a pack of cigarettes and walking out and nobody even looks at you. You know, that was 1965 and we're, hey, look at the five-year-old buying cigarettes. Um, so $1.70 is what a pack of cigarettes costs. So I didn't add in any inflation. I didn't change what it would cost in, you know, 1990 or 1995. I just left it at $1.70. My dad smoked about a pack and a half of cigarettes a day, so 10 packs a week times 52 weeks times the 26 years that he lived after he quit smoking. And he saved over $23,000 by not smoking for those years. Now, why on earth would I do that? Why on earth would I look at that? Well, I've been thinking about how much time we spend, so not money, but how much emotional time and energy the average disciple of Jesus spends worrying about the circumstances in their life. And I've been gracious because I've looked at my own life, and I'm figuring all of you are better than me, so I'm going to say that an hour a day the average disciple of Jesus, so five minutes here, 10 minutes here, a 20-minute phone call to kind of get you agitated, and all together about an hour a day, which would be, clearly would be 365 hours a year. And I did that over uh, 26 years, so I try to get, do the math, say, okay, let's just, uh, people here will live a lot longer than 26 years, some of us less than 26 years, so let's just take that as an average. 365 hours a year comes out to about 15 and a half days a year. Jesus teaches us in this passage, in fact, Jesus commands us lovingly in this passage not to be anxious, not to spend our time worrying, but rather to trust in our Heavenly Father. So just as you could say, well, if I, if I gave up, you know, it doesn't have to be something, you know, vice like cigarettes. You say, what if I gave up two cups of coffee at Starbucks a week? How much money would I have in 26 years? I want you to think that way about the investment you spend, the investment I spend on a daily basis in doing the very thing that Jesus tells us not to do. And let's ask the question, what could I do with all that time if it were available to me 
to trust my Father and to follow him. Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34, hear the word of God. Jesus is speaking, he's teaching his disciples, and he says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This is the reading of God's holy and perfect word. To him alone be glory. Let's pray together for a moment. Father, we ask this morning for the illumination of your Holy Spirit and your word to be at work in our lives. Father, there isn't a person in this room that hasn't been worried about something in the last week, whether we've been a disciple of Jesus for 50 years or whether we have been a disciple of Jesus for less than 50 days or whether we don't know you at all and we're exploring what it means to perhaps be in a relationship with you. Father, wherever we find ourselves this morning, some of us could define the last week by the words anxiousness and worry. Others of us say, you know, it was a really good week, but yes, I am concerned about this or that. Father, you don't expect us to not have that emotion, but you give us a pathway to understand it and to know where to take it. And our Lord Jesus is, is teaching us to take those anxious thoughts and to lay them at your feet. In other words, to, to trust you for every aspect of our lives, even that which feels the most painful or perhaps the most out of control. Chip encouraged us in prayer to, to take our hands and to open them up face down and then to open them up face up. And Lord, that's easy to do physically, but it's very difficult to do with the things that cause us anxiety. To really truly let them go in the sense that we're not going to ignore the issues. We're not going to, to not seek out solutions in our lives, but we're going to lay the emotional worry down at your feet. Well, Father, we need your understanding this morning. My words are completely inconsequential. Just another person's opinion. Lord Jesus, teach us this passage just as you taught your very first disciples. Forgive me for my sin. Don't let me stand in the way of what you want us to know and learn this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me give you the, the sermon in a sentence very, very briefly and hopefully fairly succinctly. And I said last week we would keep the same, but I actually switched it a little bit this week as I got a little further into my study. Trusting God's promise to provide, in other words, letting kind of go of that worry and that anxiety, leads disciples to align themselves with his kingdom above all else. So you notice that the, the second half of that sentence doesn't say 
Trusting God's promise to provide leads us out of anxiety and leads us out of worry, as if I were ignoring the text. But I'm actually going to, to suggest that this passage is teaching us that the pathway out of anxiety and the pathway out of worship is the pathway into and partnering with and submitting ourselves to the kingdom of God above all else in order that we can say, along with the psalmist, our prayer will be, Lord, give me an undivided heart. Give me a heart that completely trusts you. So the way we're going to look at this text this morning is two different ways. The first question we're going to ask and answer through the text is, what am I giving up? What, what, am I, what am I letting go of? What am I releasing? And then the second part is, what do I gain? What, what do I receive once that is gone? What, what comes into my life? And I want to uh, warn you and encourage you at the same time, this is not a one-time action. I don't lay anxiety down and then I'm never bothered by it again the rest of my life. At least I, my life doesn't function that way. It ebbs and flows. There are moments where uh, I don't have too much to worry about, too much anxiety, and there are other times where it just seems like I have a mountain of anxiety, and I need to continually be practicing not being anxious. So this is not a one-time thing. This is kind of a, a toolkit that we can use every day of our lives as we follow Jesus. So what should I continually be giving up? The first thing I want us to see in verse 27 is anxiety about that which I do not control. Jesus asked a rhetorical question. Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life. Jesus is saying, how does anxiety serve you? How does anxiety help you? How does it have a positive influence on your life? Perhaps if you're anxious enough, you could actually live longer. You could actually change the outcome of your life. And Jesus is saying that that's absolutely nonsensical. No matter how much you worry, you're not going to control the outcome of your life because that's in the hands of God's providence. The days of our lives, according to the psalmist, are numbered in, in God's book. He has ordained the beginning, and he has ordained the end. And that's of great comfort to us when we are tempted to be anxious. Cindy and I have been dealing with one of our children in a, in a very real struggle that they're going through right now. And it's been a really hard week in, in that particular relationship. It's been good in that we, we've been able to be there for, for this child of ours who's struggling so greatly. But at the same time, it's just been so tempting to say, you know, we just are, are worried sick about this. We are just so anxious about this. And we were actually in a conversation about four nights ago, and we were talking about, you know, let's, let's look at the, the pathway we can take and what can we do to help. And we really think he'll come through this, but now you know it's one of the boys. Um, it's the youngest, I'll just say that and leave it at that. Jordan, I apologize if you're listening to the sermon later on. Um, we're kind of plotting out how we could help. But the room was just thick with anxiety. And I literally had to look at Cindy and say, stop, stop. She's like, what? I'm like, we believe in God's providence. We trust him. We don't just, I don't just preach that on Sunday morning. Don't you? And I really believe that. And she said, yeah, we really believe that. I'm like, okay, good. So we can set that emotion down. Doesn't mean we're going to not think about how we can help, but we're going to set that down at the cross. And we're going to say it's our fathers. That, that emotion belongs to him. We can trust him with that so we can then go on to try to love one of our kids well. Jesus says, give up this anxiety about that which you do not control. Jesus also challenges us to give up what I'm going to call a faithless 
mindset. It doesn't mean that we are people without faith, but look at what Jesus says to the disciples, to his, who his 12 buddies who are hanging around him every day. He's pouring his life into them. He's been spending time with them. He's been teaching them and showing them everything about himself and about the kingdom of God. And he says, but if God clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you? And then look at the name he gives them. Oh, you of little faith. I would encourage you as you study the Gospels, look for that phrase. It, it's, it's sprinkled throughout, salt and peppered throughout the Gospels where Jesus confronts lovingly his disciples and says, you know what, guys, right now you just, you, you're not practicing faith. You're not believing. You're not trusting. And he might say it, oh, you have little faith. Sometimes he says, you that have no faith. He's not saying to his disciples, you're not, you're not intellectually believing in me. You're not, you're not my disciples. What he's saying is right now you're living as if you have no faith. And that's a bad way to live. R.H. Mounts, who's a biblical commentator, wrote this about this verse. Worry is practical atheism. And it is an affront to God. Now, there's a little bit of starch in those words. You kind of hear that, and you, you, you might bow up just a little bit and go, an affront to God? Yes, a lack of faith is an affront to God because what we're saying to God is, I can't trust you in this set of circumstances. You're not worthy of my trust. And Jesus says there are times when our lives look like we're, for all intents and purposes, we're atheists. We believe that, that God isn't at all involved in our lives in that moment. And Jesus says, lay that down, disciple. The temptation to have a faithless mindset because you look at your circumstances instead of looking at your God. You can trust God in all circumstances. So I want to give up the anxiety about that which I do not control. I want to give up a, a faithless mindset. The third, and there are four things I'm going to give up. The third is wasting energy living as if the temp, a temporal gain were all that mattered. I'm going to take you back actually to verse 19. We didn't read that this morning. It's been a couple weeks since we studied that section. But if you, if you have your Bibles, you can flip back there or just note that it's in the passage before. Jesus commands us not to lay up for ourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. The notion here is, is not that you would have a retirement account or that, that you would not uh, you know, put a little money in savings for a rainy day. What Jesus is saying is don't wrap up all of your security in the notion of temporal wealth. That if I get enough in this life, if I amass enough in this life, then everything will be okay, and I'm only living for my human existence on this earth, however many years that is. Jesus says, you got to set that aside. That's a bad, bad way to live because this world is temporal. This world is fleeting. I was reminded of, a, of an old uh, James Taylor song, Never Die Young, and he, he's writing about the futility of life and a couple of the lines from the song where he says, we fall prey and pray, not praying, but P-R-E-Y. We fall prey to the dust and the rust and the ruin that names us and claims us and shames us all. Even that great theologian James Taylor understands. <laughs> not sure which seminary James went to. But even he understands that this life is fleeting. And that in the end, the rust and the dust is going to claim every one of us. So why would we live as if this were all that mattered. I read a story, it was an incredibly sad, very short, but incredibly sad story about the, the original Adidas who founded Adidas, or Adidas if you're from, from Germany. And he prided himself on working 18-hour days. 
and had very little relationship at all with, with any of his children, very little with his wife, to the extent that on the day that his wife died, he was still working, he had not retired, and he was very proud that he buried her in the morning and was back at his desk right after lunch. There's something radically wrong with that approach to life. If there's more to this life than just the 60 or 70 or 80 years with which we inhabit the planet. Jesus says you're wasting energy if you live as if this temporal life is all that mattered. We need to give that up. We need to have an eternal perspective. We'll come back to that when we talk about what I gain. And then the fourth thing that we want to give up is simply making life all about me, which we're so tempted to do in the Western culture. Not to pick on any of you guys that are sitting in the front, and you don't have to raise your hand, but I bet you were a little disappointed when the good seats weren't up here this morning because you sit in the front, and you're good Presbyterians, not like those bad Presbyterians back there in the back. And you should have the good chairs. And I feel for you because I, I live in self-righteousness. I, I want to you know, prove my worth all the time. And I want to make it all about me. I want to make it all about me. You know, we're going through the struggle with our kid. And I'm like, why is he doing this to me? And I go, really? That's your thought? That, that, that's what's going through your head right now? But we tend to do that. And Jesus says, you know what? Don't be anxious. What shall we eat? What shall we live? Or what should we drink? The Gentiles, the unbelievers, the people that don't know God, the people that, that have uh, no faith balance in their life, they have no center for their existence and a relationship with God, and they kind of go, well, I guess that's all there is. Why would we think that way when we have a heavenly Father? We need to give up making life all about me. So that's what we give up. What do we gain according to Jesus in this passage? Again, there were, there were four things we give up. I'm going to give you four observations that I think Jesus is calling us or promising us that, that, we, that we actually already have. Uh, we just need to understand it. We need to know it. And then we need to practice it. We need to get used to living in this way. The first one is that we have a Father that we can trust now and forever. Look at verses 26 and then verse 22. Look at the birds of the air, Jesus says. Do they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them? Are you not of more value than they? Again, a rhetorical question. You are of much more value than they, so your heavenly Father will care for you. The Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father, I forgot to underline that, knows that you need them all. Jesus is speaking to this relationship we have not just with a father who cares about us but is distant and can't really get involved, but rather a father who is Lord over all of creation, who is Lord over all of life. Our father not only can take care of us, he does take care of us. Not only can he provide for us, he does provide for us. And that includes in the difficult moments. Because some people can take this type of passage and can warp it to say, therefore, if you're a disciple of Jesus, you should never have any problems. And if you just have enough faith, everything in your life will be okay. And the problems that you have in your life are because you don't have enough faith, and they can warp this understanding of what it means to have a father who cares for us. So I went back to Stott's commentary this week, and, and, and a theologian named Green is actually the one who wrote this paragraph. But here's what he says about being able to trust God even in the difficult moments. What of the hardships of the believer? Is Jesus being unfeeling and unrealistic here? No. He himself knew the plain, the, excuse me, knew the pinch of near starvation. 
and was to taste in his flesh the bite of the cruel nails. But these things did not rob him of his loving trust in his heavenly Father, whose overarching providence would not allow anything to befall him, which was not in the last analysis for good. That analysis may not be apparent until eternity, but it could be relied on, and it still can. I really appreciate the fact that Green says the preacher believed his own message. (laughs) He lived his own message. He speaks of the, the 40 days and 40 nights Jesus was in the wilderness. And if you remember, the first time that Satan shows up, he tempts him with what? With food. <laughs> he tempts him say, you know what? Your stomach's got to be more than growling. Why don't you, why don't you command these stones to, to turn to bread? And Jesus, what was his reply? Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Right? Jesus knew what it was to be near starvation and yet not be tempted to take matters into his own hands because of his anxiety. Jesus was going to feel, the author says, the pinch of the nails. He was going to die a horrific death from a human perspective, not to mention the spiritual suffering that Jesus would do when he took on your identity and my identity and the sins that you've committed, the sins that I've committed, the sins we will commit, the sins we have committed, and he paid for those, suffering the wrath of God on the cross. The preacher understood better than any disciple ever did, would, or will what it means to trust God even when, humanly speaking, your circumstances look absolutely awful. And the author goes on to say, unlike Jesus, we can't have the eternal perspective that he could have because he was fully God. We may not get the answers this side of heaven. And that's the scary part, quite frankly, if you ask me. I mean, just Tom's personal opinion. The scary part is saying God's providence is good all the time even when I absolutely cannot explain it. And I've said that to some of you in this room when we've walked through dark moments together. And some of you have said to me, why? And in brilliant pastoral response, I've said, I have no idea. But I know God is good. That's, that's the, the moment of darkness is the moment of faith, brothers and sisters. And what we gain is a father we can trust even in the moments where it feels very, very uncomfortable. What else do we gain? Well, not only this father, but a new focus on life. And this new focus on life are these two words, kingdom and righteousness. There there are 11 or 12 verses in this text, and Jesus spends a lot of time in the negative. Don't be anxious, don't be anxious, don't be anxious, don't be anxious. And then he just gives one small phrase for the antidote for anxiousness. Here's the positive. But Instead of that, do this. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. What is Jesus saying there? Well, let's break it apart for just a second. Jesus says the first thing we need to do is seek the kingdom of God. Here's how D.A. Carson, another theologian, uh, speaks to this question. We ent- the disciple enters into, submits to, and participates in spreading the news of saving, the saving reign of God in Jesus. To seek first the kingdom is simply to seek first the kingdom of Jesus, to represent his kingdom, to pray that his kingdom would come, his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven, that we would apply that to our lives. 
We want to be kingdom citizens first and foremost in order that we follow Jesus in all things. So our focus is not on those things which make us anxious, but rather our focus is on Jesus who is establishing his kingdom in our hearts and our minds, both now and forever, and establishing his kingdom on this earth. Jesus also goes on to say, our focus is on the kingdom of God and what? And his righteousness. I don't know how many sermons it would take me to, to, to preach on the righteousness of God. So I was trying to think of how I could just absolutely sum it up in, in the shortest way possible just for our purposes this morning. To seek the righteousness of God is simply practicing the application of the Sermon on the Mount. Just spend the rest of your life doing that. <laughs> I'm not saying don't read any other parts of the Bible. I'm not saying you have to study all of Scripture. But, but just for the rest of your life, practice, putting it, putting it in practice, the teaching of the Sermon on the Mount. So I'm not going to tell you something that I'm not going to try myself. So I experimented with this this week. And this week, on, on Monday morning, first thing, I was reading ahead in the sermon series, and I read this verse. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. This is the law and the prophets. You may have heard that, the, the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, right? So I prayed every morning this week and then several times during the day that, that every motive of my heart and every action coming out of those motives would simply stem from this thought, what's best for this person? What's best for this person? I started that on Monday morning. By like 2 o'clock that afternoon, I was exhausted. <laughs> I was absolutely spent. And I had already failed like six times. And there were only like five of us in the office on Monday. I mean, it was, the, the honesty was so brutal. I mean, it was just like, oh my goodness, God, I need your grace in my life. And that was just one sentence of the Sermon on the Mount. So when I say here there's enough to fill a lifetime, I'm not just, you know, trying to wax eloquent. It's true. If we want to seek the righteousness of God applied to our lives and lived out, on a daily basis, before fellow believers in order to encourage them, and before the world in order to point them to Christ, we will need the strength of God. We will need the power of God, and we will have absolutely no time to be anxious because this will consume our days. What we gain is a new focus on life. But the other thing is that not only was it exhausting, but it was kind of fun. It was kind of neat to see that God could actually, the couple times I got it right during the day, I could see a person's face kind of get a little brighter. I could, I could see a person who felt like they had been kind of cared for or ministered to, and I got the biggest kick out of that, and I thought, wouldn't it be fun to do this all the time? <laughs> wouldn't it be fun to really follow Jesus and not just talk about it? There, there's something that I gained from that. It wasn't a burden. It was, the burden was me seeing my, my failure at times, but it is an absolute joy to be able to, to join in the focus that God has for this world. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's the second. The third thing that we gain is an emotional and spiritual freedom to be part of something really big. So I want to take you actually to Psalm chapter 2 and just mention to you very quickly the, 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 the big thing, okay? And this is the psalmist foretelling about what God is saying to Jesus. And he says, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, and now this is, this is Jesus speaking into the text, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth 
your possession. What we get to join, what we gain by being disciples of Jesus is being part of a kingdom that knows no boundaries, that knows no limitations. We have the opportunity to join him in an eternal project of building his kingdom forever and ever and ever. And it just begins, a little sliver of it begins in this life. So I asked you a little earlier, what would you do with the extra time, right? What, what would you do? So I'm going to come back to that. Just hypothesize for a couple minutes. Just kind of, kind of play along here. So if it's an hour a day times 365 days, that's 365 hours or 15.5 days times 26 years, that's 403 days of your life that you now no longer are going to spend in anxiousness over 26 years, right? So you can do plus or minus depending on how old you are. For you guys on the front row, you got like 26 times four. You got, you got, you got a lot of days that you don't have to be anxious. You know, what could you do with all that time? 26 years, 10 kids in a class, you could teach 300 kids, 312 kids about Jesus and bring them, be used by God to bring them to faith in Christ. Or you could go out and be anxious. Let me weigh those two in the balance. You could care if you were a Stephen minister, join Stephen ministry. And I'm assuming that you could care uh, for two adults a year. Uh, that, that, that might be, I don't know if that's right or wrong, but it's, let's just take it as an average. 52 people that are, that, are, that are in a tough spot that are maybe wrestling with anxiousness, maybe feeling overwhelmed, maybe feeling like nobody cares for them, nobody even notices that they're the one that's struggling. And God puts you in their life to minister to them. Or you could worry about tomorrow. You could go on Homes of Hope 26 years in a row and you could be part of having 26 families be able to have a roof over their head, be inside when it rains instead of living in an abandoned car or living under some cardboard and to maybe be part of God breaking generational poverty in the lives of 26 different families. Or you could worry about what you're going to wear, you know, next season when the styles change. You could pray every day for every green tree missionary for, for 10 minutes a day for 9,490 straight days. Or you could worry about what you're going to have for dinner tomorrow. I'm, I'm being somewhat silly, brothers and sisters, but you get the point. What we gain by joining in with Jesus, by setting aside anxiety, on a daily basis, and by embracing his kingdom, is we get the opportunity then to be focused on what he's doing and to partner with him in that journey. Now, if the scriptures haven't convinced you yet this morning, I'm going to give you an out. I'm, I'm going I'm to give you a, um, one pass. And the pass comes, if we go to the next screen, out of 2 Corinthians chapter 11. But I'm not going to call it anxiety because it isn't, and I'll explain that in just a second. But I'm going to call it a God-honoring concern. So if you just got to be concerned about something, you say, I just don't feel right unless I'm, unless I'm concerned about something emotionally. Well, then join the Apostle Paul where he writes to the folks in Corinth, and he says, and apart from other things, and he's just gone through a whole litany of all the things that are going on in his life, a lot of which are really difficult. He said, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety, the exact same word that Jesus uses in the Sermon on the Mount. For all the churches. Uh, I talked with a friend of mine who's a good Greek scholar, and he confirmed this last week, so I'm, I'm on good ground here, and, and I was happy to know that. Paul's not confessing a sin here. 
Paul's not saying, I shouldn't be worried, but gosh, I just can't help myself. Because God's clearly not taking care of the churches. That's, that's not what Paul is saying. Paul is saying is, God's changed my focus. God's moved my heart. So that that causes me concern is centered on where God's concern is, where God's passions are. And where are God's passions? Where, where, where's God's interest? It's where, where is God abiding? With his people. And so I can, I can take the anxiety that is me-centered and I, can, and I can allow the Holy Spirit to change it into a godly concern that actually has a benefit on the church because when I'm concerned about the church, it means I'm concerned about people. I'm not concerned about the chairs we sit in when we move a new building. I mean, I really don't care about that at all. But I'm concerned about your hearts and your souls and my heart and my soul. And, and that, I believe, is a godly concern that's been placed there by the Holy Spirit in order that we will nurture one another and help one another grow in Christ. In other words, what do I gain when it's all said and done? I think what I gain is the heart and the mind, the compassion, the suffering, the joy, the stories, and the eternal treasure of a disciple of Jesus. Or I can worry. Let's pray. Father, I, I don't want to make light of anxiety this morning. There are things in our lives that, that can be very overwhelming and are very serious. Father, I don't want to pretend that this world is perfect and that if we just you know, pray a little bit each day, all of our problems will go away. But Father, help us to be true to this text and apply it to our lives. Holy Spirit, apply it to our lives. Being anxious about these things as if we could change them or control them will rob us of the opportunity we have to follow you and to see you work in our lives and to see you work in the lives of others. So Father, as we come to the table of the Lord Jesus this morning, we come confessing our anxiousness. There, there may be other things we need to confess, but, but we certainly want to confess that and ask, Lord, that you would refocus our spiritual heart and eyes on your will as a father at the end of the day, even though we may not understand it now, to work all things for our good, for your glory, for all of eternity. Teach us that lesson, Lord, every day that we may follow you, that we may be used by you to grow your kingdom and to tell someone else the glorious news of the Lord Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. So if you want...